Hello and welcome to the Toasted Tale podcast. My name is Jim Lillywhite Bewley, and welcome to another episode in the sub-series Capturing. Something that I always find fascinating about when images are captured is that a dynamic exists between three points of a triangle. There is one, the photographer taking the image, another, the subject of the image, and thirdly, the event in which the picture has been taken. And I can't really think of an example better than the subject of this episode of the Toasted Tale podcast, which holds these three players more perfectly. As we look at capturing Tankman. Our story starts in 1989, when Jeff Widener, a photographer for the Associated Press, is sitting, enjoying food, in a sleazy bar in downtown Bangkok. Images flashed on the small television screen in the room of thousands of pro-democracy protesters marching near Beijing's Tiananmen Square. Now, China was not within his area to report on, but he knew that it would only be a matter of time before the New York head office for his newspaper got in contact telling him to get into the region. Due to the inner turmoil, the Chinese were not issuing visas to journalists. They didn't want what was happening within their country to be captured and sent off across the world. Jeff's only course of action was to travel to Hong Kong, which was under British control at the time and decided to instead, and this is in air quotes, lose his passport. This is so he could try and get a new one without any of his journalism stamps on it. As I said before, the Chinese were not keen on letting journalists within their borders at this time. Like in some kind of Cold War spy film, he then had to find ways into the country, avoiding the Chinese consulate booking a short package tour of China from a local company. So with a travel visa, and then eventually the order coming down from New York to help with the Tiananmen story, he was on his way. A slight wrinkle, however, was introduced with these orders from his employer, asking that he would bring a whole load of photography equipment like a portable darkroom and all the different supplies he will need. This, of course, would not go down well at customs. He tells this really interesting story as he's pushing his trolley through the airport in Beijing, approaching the customs officers, fully expecting them to take one look at all of his equipment and tell him to shove off. He says that as his heart is pounding through his chest, to the left suddenly there is a large commotion, an explosion of feathers everywhere, Apparently, someone else trying to get in had brought a live chicken and was wrestling with one of the customs officers for it. With this distraction going on in the background, Widener slipped through without being checked, effectively smuggling himself and his equipment in illegally, getting into a taxi and driving off. All of this so far is already pretty outrageous, but it was only when he was in China and Beijing 
where Jeff fully understood the gravity of what was going on. Once he was all settled in the city, his routine in the morning looked a bit like this. He would arrive in Tiananmen Square at sunrise and take photographs of protesters and the handful of hunger strikers. There was almost a carnival atmosphere as thousands of people freely wandered around the massive square and did pretty much whatever they wanted. There was a large security ring that encircled one of the main statues, and it was the most heavily guarded section, being at the top where the anti-government printing presses worked overtime. An insepid virus had infected the young people of China, one which the government was fighting hard against, and it was, of course, democracy. One of the most iconic images that Jeff is able to capture in this build-up to the main event is a beautiful picture of the goddess of democracy, a white marble line statue of a woman holding a brazened beacon, facing off against the giant portrait of Chairman Mao outside the Forbidden City. In reality, if that isn't the biggest metaphor for the whole event, then I don't know what else is. After about a week of covering the protests, the numbers of people in the square had swelled to over 100,000 people, and jostling between the People's Liberation Army and the protesters was becoming more heated and tense. The Associated Press in these times only had about three photographers on the ground, and so straws were drawn for who would do the night shifts. There was an undercurrent of trouble that was brewing, and Jeff drew the first straw. So, calmly, they pedalled their bicycles down the Chang'an Boulevard, travelling lightly in order to stay as inconspicuous as possible. Neither Jeff or his companions felt good about that night. It's funny, isn't it, how your intuition can be sometimes a very good indicator of future events. That evening, people were pulling large metal steel barricades from the middle and sides of the street to block the advance of any potential military vehicles. Everyone was in a heightened state, and as protesters walked past, and Jeff Widener took photos. He remembers one particular toothless old man with a long beard and heavy coat approached him with a crazy laugh. He eagerly opened his jacket and stashed in his belt was a large hatchet dripping with blood. The stakes were high on all sides and it was dangerous for sure. Jeff left the area, but not the action. I think he wanted to get away from the crazy old man with the hatchet. They made their way over to a side street off the Great Hall of the People, and they soon spotted bright white flashes in the distance. Suddenly, they heard the sound of crashing metal on the main boulevard, and people started screaming and running towards them. An armoured personnel carrier with a large calibre machine gun came careering round the corner, throwing up sparks on the road. Jeff and his companion threw their bikes to the side and jumped, narrowly missing being hit, as throwing angry protesters chased in hot pursuit. Just imagine the just craziness of that sight. And what does Jeff and his companion do but 
tentatively follow suit. I've always wondered how it must be for a innocent party to be caught up in the midst of a battle, but this is how they must have felt, terrified. The mob eventually cornered the APC at the locked gates of the Great Hall, climbed on top of it, shouting and raising hell. There are some amazing photos of these students and young Chinese on top of this military vehicle, loudspeakers in hand, raising their arms in triumph. By this time, it was night, and running low on film and flash power, Jeff decided that he needed to head back to his headquarters to regroup. On the way back, he finds another armoured personnel carrier, completely engulfed in flames. Protesters had shoved steel objects into the tread to slow it down, and from within, you could hear the screams of those inside. Once again, this time having to get so close to the flames, Jeff took more unbelievable photographs. Moving beyond the burning vehicle, and noticing a small crowd form nearby, to his surprise, his camera is yanked from around his neck. The mob started screaming at him, for an instance he felt as if he was going to be torn to shreds. He yanked his passport out of his jacket, hoping for some reason that it would save him. He shouted, American, American! A leader of the pack came over to calm the crowd. He looked at his passport and then pointed to a dead soldier lying curled up on the ground. He said, you photo, you show world. There is such a photo, black and white of a crowd of young Chinese over a dead body of a soldier. There were unbelievable sights all around, people on fire, soldiers shooting their AK-47 machine guns. And to Jeff, it was a sick joke. His flash was only allowing him to take photos once every 60 seconds, as that's how long it took for the flash to work. He was on one of the biggest stories of the 20th century, and all he could do was take a single picture a minute. Cycling back to the Associated Press Beijing headquarters, he was amazed to see firework-like tracer rounds from heavy machine guns being shot through the air. Reaching the Associated Press's offices, one of his colleagues, Mark Avery, was transmitting pictures which he had made of a man being crushed to death by a tank. His colleague noticed that he was injured, and told him to give him his camera and not go back outside. After all, the government was killing people. It was at this moment that Jeff Widener had to make one of the most difficult decisions of his life. As a news photographer, he wanted to return back to the streets, but being a human being, he was scared, exhausted, injured, and not wanting to return. Even though at the time he felt ashamed, the decision to stay was probably the one that saved his life. Going out at night with flashes would have been suicidal. Sleep was disturbed by gunfire and distant scream. When they woke up, a message from the New York office of the Associated Press said, quote, We don't want anyone to take any unnecessary risks, but if someone could please photograph the occupied Tiananmen Square, we would appreciate it. End quote. Everyone else in the room was busy or unable to do this, so it fell to Jeff Widener again. 
news he did not want to hear. So on his bike again, he took, rather than the chunky camera from the night before, a smaller Nikon FE2 camera, which would be a lot smaller than usual, but perfect for a stealth job. Leaving the tranquil diplomatic compound, and moving into the disputed areas of Beijing, Jeff passed parked tanks, armed guards, and turreted sentries with mean-looking, large-caliber machine guns. His destination was the Beijing Hotel. The tall building gave an unparalleled view of Tiananmen Square, perfect for anyone who wanted to take a photo. Because of this, there were several security police officers around the entrance, ready to stop anyone they suspected. Jeff, like the undercover espionage journalist he was, locked his bicycle at the metal rack, and then, feeling for certain as if he was going to be arrested, walked towards the entrance. At the last minute, in the lobby, he spotted a young man wearing a dirty Rambo t-shirt, shorts and sandals. It was a man named Kirk Martson, a American college exchange student who was staying with a Los Angeles Times reporter. He confidently walked past security and loudly said, Hey Joe, where have you been? I've been looking all over for you. You can imagine that Kirk was probably a bit confused by this, but Jeff filled him in that he was trying to blag his way into the building, and it apparently worked. The security guards, who initially had been walking towards Jeff, turned around assuming he was just another guest of the hotel. It was at this point that Kirk filled in Jeff, making him aware that this was an incredibly dangerous area. Only a few minutes ago, Soldiers had opened fire on some civilians, barely missing Kirk himself. After going to Kirk's room and explaining his mission, they went to the roof of the hotel, stealthily crawling to the edge to get the shot. And what they saw was on one hand amazing, but also terrifying. Before them, in the middle of Tiananmen Square, was maybe 20 or so tanks also dispersed crowds of people, soldiers possibly, occupying where beforehand had been tens of thousands of protesters. What they also saw was a lot of open space where people could hide with weapons. On the top of this hotel, if a sniper, for instance, saw someone taking photographs, they probably wouldn't even hesitate to pop one off, take out a journalist just to ensure the secret kept safe. And after the violence that had been taking place over the last week, that wouldn't have been surprising. As you can imagine, therefore, they didn't want to stay on this roof any longer than necessary. Returning to their rooms below, they were able to rest, occasionally being interrupted by housekeeping, popping their head around the doors to check no one was doing anything illegal. After all this excitement, Jeff took a slight rest on the bed, and was only awoken later when he heard the diesel engines of a column of tanks. Jumping out of bed and running to the balcony, crouching behind the metal railings, there was a long line of tanks approaching from the square, and he thought this would be a nice compression shot when suddenly 
the most amazing thing happened. And we have the third element of our trifecta we mentioned earlier. A man in a long, white-sleeved shirt, with two shopping bags in hand, walked into the middle of the Chang'ang Boulevard directly in front of the tanks. It must have appeared as if the whole avenue had gone silent, waiting for these tanks to apparently run over this gentleman. But it didn't happen. The tanks stopped, tried to get around the man, the man kept getting in the way. It tries again the tank to go the other way, and once again it is blocked. The engine of the tank goes off, and remarkably, the man in white climbs on top of the armoured vehicle, banging on the hatch, shouting at those within. Remember, this is a whole column of tanks. Tanks that the night before had been used to intimidate and kill. At one point in the very few pieces of video footage they have of this event, you can see the man in white speaking to the tank captain who opened the hatch, and you can see them exchanging heated words. He eventually gets off the tank and makes one final stand, blocking again. Until eventually, bystanders ran off from the side and led the lone man away. In the span of about 30 seconds, one man stood up to a whole nation in defiance. After the film reels were smuggled out of the hotel and sent back to New York, the images were plastered over global newspapers. All across the world, it hit the front page. It was a perfect representation of oppression by a government onto its people. And even against great odds, heroes can emerge. We know very little more about the gentleman in the Tank Man photo. We don't know what happened to him, he may have just disappeared into the crowd, he may have been arrested, or worse. That is one of those pieces of information that has been lost to history. Jeff Widener was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize for the photograph, and it has become one of the most iconic in the world. It's amazing, really, how famous that photo is around the world, whereas in China it is still heavily censored, and the official Chinese party line is that the Tiananmen Square massacre, and any photographs of it therein, never occurred. Thank you so very much for tuning in to today's episode of Capturing Tankman, a series by the Toasted Tale podcast. I found it really interesting looking into this famous photograph, and Jeff Widener's account of how he got that, moving through the streets of Beijing, risking his own life to capture this unbelievable and unfolding event in time a historical moment that surely has ramifications even to now. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, then please consider subscribing or following the Toasted Tale podcast on whichever platform you prefer to get your podcasts from. We are on Spotify, iTunes, 
Google Podcasts and, of course, Podbean. Sharing, liking and commenting on these episodes as well is also a great way to get more people involved and spreads the Toasted Tale podcast to more people. So anyone who fancies doing that as well gets all the appreciation from me, of course. I hope everything you attempt this week goes well and that you are all happy with yourselves. I look forward to speaking to you all again soon for another toasted tale by the fireside.